a vine, branches, pruning, a letter of love. It practically shouts, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. And the ways are so infinite we cannot count. Then there's the desert road trip for an apostle, an outsider, an Ethiopian. What in the world do these passages have in common? Well, let's see if we can wind them together. First, think on this. In the Acts of the Apostle, Luke portrays the resurrection as a, an explosion into all the world. In, in fact, the entire book could be seen as living out the implications of Jesus' opening commission in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But how can we reach out without growing strong? I have this image, this picture of the earth in my head, maybe one of those NASA shots. And then I have the vine of love with the branches reaching out throughout the world to love and cherish and grow. I am the true vine. That was a powerful statement to those first hearers because the image of the vine wove all through the scriptures of the day. The prophets loved to talk about the vine, but for them it was Israel. The vine was Israel, the vine uprooted from Egypt and planted in the promised land. A vine that bears fruit to feed many, but also a vine that withers when it neglects the source of strength when it becomes unconnected. This sounds surprisingly like what Jesus says here in this farewell discourse. Stay connected. Remember the source of strength. Bear fruit. That's what that abide in me part is all about. What changes with this New Testament passage is that instead of a nation, the vine is now a person. I am the true vine, says Jesus. Kind of startling at that time, no doubt about it. And maybe even a little offensive. How could one man replace a nation? But look again. Jesus differentiates between vine and branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He is simply bringing the source closer to us. Instead of the people being uprooted and planted by God and sometimes withering when they forget that, now the source of strength is right there with us, within us. We are connected to it. It is right there, right here. We abide in it. The people of God still produce the fruit. That is how God decided it would work. God just moved a little closer because we could use the help. Apart from God, apart from the source of strength, the vine, we can do nothing. And we have to stay close. Abide, while at the same time growing, branching out, producing fruit. And what was Philip doing but producing fruit on his desert road trip? Clearly Luke, whose gospel tells of outsiders like a Samaritan who cares for a Jewish traveler in his time of need in chapter 10, clearly Luke wants to show how the gospel leaps 
all over boundaries and crosses barriers and goes all the way to the end of the earth, including even an Ethiopian. And so, in this week's reading from Acts, Luke tells of Philip being led by the Spirit out to an unlikely place, the desert at noon. Have you ever been in the desert at noon? Even here in California, in Palm Springs, in the summer? Yeah, I'd jump in my car and turn on the air conditioner, right? Anyway, unlikely place, the desert at noon. And there, Philip will encounter an Ethiopian, a man from the ends of the earth, the story is set in motion by an angel who tells Philip to go south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, by the way, Philip had just a short time before caused some trouble among the saints in Jerusalem by converting many Samaritans. Oops. Though some are troubled by a church, the church offering baptism even to Samaritans, now, the Spirit will move further from the church's Judean center, all the way out toward an Ethiopian eunuch. The storyline will continue after the eunuch's conversation with the conversion of church enemy number one, Saul. That spectacularly unexpected lurch outward by the Spirit leads to the baptism in Acts 11 of a Gentile centurion. Okay, back to our story. One of the important things to understand here today is just how inclusive the God, love of God is. And that as we are abiding in that love, in that vine, the good news, the love, the branches, that branching out, that love, that grows. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch, he is a man of Africa. As a eunuch, he is prohibited by the rules, by the dictates of Deuteronomy 23, from entering the assembly of the Lord. Mm. Now, the eunuch is a well-to-do, prominent person. He is a minister of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. While he is not a Jew, he stands on the edges of Judaism. He is a high official in the court of the queen of the Ethiopians. Somehow, he has obtained an Isaiah scroll, which he reads, but he cannot understand what he's reading. The scroll contains the testimony, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. While the Ethiopian has a sacred scroll, he doesn't know the significance of what he's reading. Philip's going to have to interpret for him and explain that the lamb led to the slaughter is Jesus. So, back to our story. Who's the writer talking about? asks the Ethiopian. He's talking about Jesus, says Philip. Philip only tells him a little bit about Jesus, but it's enough for the Ethiopian to get the idea that God is reaching out to him. What's to hold me back from getting baptized? asks the Ethiopian. Well, there's actually plenty to hold him back. He's not a Jew. He's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. Someone all the way from Ethiopia, from the ends of the earth. Of course he is, in Philip's mind, held back, prevented from baptism. 
He's not a Jew. He's had no instruction in the faith. He's of another race, another nationality, and he is a eunuch. Yet apparently, there's nothing about Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit to hold the Ethiopian back from baptism. Now, while all this is going through Philip's head, a miraculous spring bubbles forth in the desert. Surprise! <laughs> so, even though it's the desert in the middle of the day, and even though this Ethiopian is from the end of the earth, so far as Philip was concerned, and even though Philip did not have a theology that explained what he was doing bringing this foreigner into the household of God, Philip listened to the Spirit, abided in God, and Philip baptized the Ethiopian. So, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian, and a new family, a new nation is being constructed here by the expansive work of the Holy Spirit. Nothing keeps anyone out. Come on in. The Ethiopian goes his way with joy, and the church, under the instigation of the Holy Spirit, learns something about the expansive work of God. We all now know the truth about God that we are commissioned to share with the whole world. This story of Philip and the Ethiopian reveals that it is the nature of this God to reach out. In the Trinity, God the Father sends the Son, and the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit send the church into the world. There, you have Trinity Sunday all taken care of right there. <laughs> this God insists on having the last word. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. A chief defining content of this good news of God is this sort of relentless reach. This God has a gregarious determination to draw all things unto God's self. Don't you think it's kind of wonderful that God wanted you? By the way, have you ever noticed how relentless, speaking of a relentless God, have you ever noticed how relentless vines can be? I have, especially things like ivy. And while we want to grow, we also have to be pruned in order to produce more lush fruit, in order to flourish. It is said that in a vineyard, the best grapes are produced closest to the central vine. Stay close, because we need to be pruned. We wish it weren't so, but we do. Gardeners know this. Pruning is a it's an art form as much as a horticultural technique. Sometimes it looks like you're killing the plant or bush or whatever you're pruning, but if the pruning is done right, then the plant always comes back stronger. Always. It produces more. It flourishes. It, it grows beyond where it was cut back. Pruning, I'm told, is necessary for a certain kind of plant or it will wither and die because it is trying to sustain something that isn't necessary, or isn't healthy, or is a distraction from its true function of bearing fruit or flower. Step away from the metaphor for a moment and realize that pruning hurts. 
cutting away what we've become attached to, no matter how unhealthy it is for us, is hard and painful. And it makes us ask that question we don't like to admit that we ask. Is it worth it? Is it worth the struggle, the pain, the self-denial to live this life that Jesus offers us? To enjoy this abundance that he wants to pour down on us? Is it the fruit we bear, this commandment to love God and neighbor with equal amounts of passion and service? Is that worth the effort it takes to bear it? No, Jesus said so. I have said these things to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says it is more than worth it, and we have chosen to trust him. And the moments of real joy that we have experienced in life are always caught up in loving and being loved. So we know we want more. More of him, more of love, more joy. So, stay close. Abide in me is the way he says it. We are learning to abide, to seek those moments when we can be in Christ's presence can soak up that word, can sing of praise and healing, loving and reconciling. We want to stay close and to grow, reach out, but how? Well, that's probably too big a question for the time we have left, but the short answer is we need to be grafted into the vine. True, there is nothing about grafting officially in these verses. Vines and abiding, pruning and being cut off, yes, but not grafting. So we'll venture out a little further on the limb. Grafting is a process whereby one plant, the scion or offspring, becomes part of another, the root stock or the vine. The process allows the plants to become one. But the only way for the scion to be grafted into the root stock is if the stalk or the vine is cut, is pierced to make room, to allow entry. By his wounds we are healed. Look again. Abide in me as I abide in you. As I abide in you. He's leaving, but he's not leaving. He's with us even unto the end of the age. That means we are with him. Come hell or high water, when the chips are down and when our ship has come in, we are with him and he is with us. We remember the events of Holy Week, that divine drama that's acted out as a historical remembrance year after year, except that it isn't just a historical remembrance. It is the rhythm of our faith. Christ comes to us and... For joy, we ask him to save us because Christ comes to us, to us. With tears streaming down our faces, we embrace him and hope for a new start, a new opportunity, and new outlook in life. Of course, sometimes, when the glow dies down and the new outlook looks a lot like the old looks and takes just as much effort to hold on to, if not more, our disillusionment grows and we look for someone to blame, a scapegoat who must be at fault for the rotten life we've been given. We lash out, we cast aside that which only recently seemed so full of possibility and hope and now tastes like ashes instead of bread and wine. And we turn our backs on the one we wept over and we flee in fear and shame and doubt. Remember Peter? 
And in the darkness, we feel so alone. Again, so alone, like no one understands, like no one is on our side, like there's just no one for us, no one. We are apart from him and can do nothing because we are apart. Or nothing that we can do seems worth doing. Or nothing we have done seems to amount to anything anymore. Apart from him, life is emptier. The colors are muted. The air is heavy and gravity seems stronger apart from him. But then, instead, we are grafted into the vine and we receive the strength we need to bear fruit. Instead, we abide in him. We grow, we flourish, we are pruned, we reach out with our branches. It's all real. All these I am messages we see in John. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the word. I am love. Abide in me. When it seems hard, abide in me. When it is dark, abide in me. That's what Jesus says. That's what God says. Abide in me as I abide in you. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let us abide, grow, flourish, and branch out. Amen. Amen.